Before you even consider counting calories, I think you should look at the quality of your food. Are you eating real whole foods? I'd say 95% of my diet is coming from real foods. Welcome back, everybody, to episode 14 of the Clean Kitchen Podcast. I'm Kyle. And I'm Kristen. That's right. Kristen is filling in today for Kevin because, unfortunately, Kevin is sick. He went to New York this past week. He caught something. We don't know what it is. It's not COVID. We know that. Uh, But he's not feeling well, so he's unable to make it this week. So Kristen, my sister, is filling in. A lot of you that follow me on Instagram, you probably know who Kristen is because she's on my stories on a daily basis. She helps me out part-time. She films for me in the store and edits and posts all of my videos. So thank you, Kristen, for filling in. Of course. I'm excited. Yeah, I appreciate it. So I asked you guys uh, on my story last week on Instagram questions you wanted me to cover on this week's episode of the Clean Kitchen Podcast. So we have about 10 questions planned, and Kristen Mm -hmm. is going to be asking these questions to me. So what's the first one, Kristen? All right. You ready? I'm ready. What is the best type of protein powder to use? Great question. This is one of the very popular questions I get Mm -hmm. on Instagram. Um, So Basically, when it comes down to it, there's two different types of protein powder. There's whey-based protein powder, and there's plant-based protein powder. And both of these protein powders protein powders, have their pros and cons. So whey protein contains all essential amino acids that are needed by the body, where plant-based protein, for the most part, there are certain types of plant, plant-based protein that contain all the amino acids. But for the most part, plant-based protein does not contain all essential amino acids. Whey protein is also absorbed better by the body. It's more bioavailable as opposed to plant-based protein, which is not as well absorbed by the body. Additionally, whey protein uh, is digested quicker. So it's really good to have post-workout, post-exercise, and it contains more of something called branched-chain amino acids, or BCAAs. You may have seen this term before on the front of packages. Um, And this is just very helpful for building and repairing muscle. Um, And then whey-based protein is also rich in a variety of different nutrients where Uh, plant-based protein may be lacking a little bit uh, in terms of that. How often do you consume protein powder? That's a great question, Kristen. So I consume protein powder on a daily basis. Okay, wow. Um, I say normally it's, most of the time, it's right after a workout. So I finish Mm -hmm. my workout now that I live in an apartment complex that has a gym in it. After I have my workout downstairs, I head upstairs and I have my workout or my my protein powder. (laughs) (laughs) That is nice. Yes, um, and just another quick note on plant-based protein powder. Um, it's it's not necessarily worse. I know some people that are vegan or vegetarian that want to have a plant-based protein powder, and they're not necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, they tend to not be as well absorbed compared to whey protein powder. And a lot of people don't like the taste and texture of mm-hmm. plant-based protein. It's a little, I guess, grainier texture. So that's another reason why people prefer whey-based protein powder. I prefer whey-based protein powder. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll leave I'll leave a link to all of my favorite protein powders down below. But the one I have on a daily basis is Flav City. I know you like that one too. Yeah, Flav City. Flav City's my first ever protein. Oh, that's the powder first I've ever you, had. You ever had? Yeah. You never tried another one before? No. But you like the taste of it, right? I do. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That that one's the best tasting protein powder in my opinion, and that one is made with undenatured whey protein, grass fed mm-hmm. undenatured whey protein, and undenatured basically just means that it's not as processed as other whey Uh protein powder. 
and um, it retains a lot of the nutrients and also it's easier to digest. So some people that are sensitive to dairy or lactose, Mm -hmm. they tend to do fine with this undenatured whey protein. So if you've tried whey protein before and you reacted negatively to it, try this undenatured whey protein. That's what the Flav City is. Another great brand that I love is Just Ingredients. And then a couple of other good brands are Paleo Valley, Be Well by Kelly. That one's actually beef protein isolate, so it's not whey protein, um, but another great option. And then I'll leave a link to a few of my other plant favorite plant-based proteins down below as well. And do you suggest only having protein powders after working out or? You can have it any time of the day. Okay. I'd say to really gain muscle, the best time to have protein is right after a workout. Mm-hmm. I believe it's like 15 to 30 minutes right after a workout, okay. which is when I normally have mine. Mm-hmm. If I'm not working out on a day, then I'll normally have it maybe like mid-afternoon as kind of an afternoon snack. Yeah, I mean, and it that's, keeps you full. Exactly. That's a good, it's a good time to have protein, mm-hmm. maybe between lunch and dinner, if you're getting a little hungry in the mid-afternoon, but you want some good protein to fill you up. Um, you can also from, have it as a meal replacement? You can have it as a meal replacement. Yes. Good point there. Yeah, very good. All right. I think that's it on weight on protein powders though. And don't forget that clean kitchen agreement. If you're enjoying this podcast episode, please, please, please subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. There are thousands of people that listen to this podcast every week and you guys aren't leaving a review or a rating. Please do it. It helps us out so much. It helps us reach more people. You can literally pause the podcast right now and go leave a review. It doesn't have to be long. It can be a quick one sentence line if you're enjoying the podcast. It is greatly, greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. All right. Next question. Are frozen fruits and vegetables okay to buy or should I stick to fresh? Mm, this is another common question. I, there's a little bit of a theme here. Of very, These are very commonly asked questions that yeah. I get. So I'm glad we're doing this episode. Um, frozen fruits and vegetables are perfectly fine. Oh, good a to lot know. Of, a lot of people think that they're maybe worse. Maybe they're yeah. not as healthy. They're not as nutritious, but it's actually the opposite. Mm. So frozen fruits and vegetables, they're typically, when they're, when they're picked, they're, they're picked at their peak ripeness uh-huh. and then they freeze them immediately. So it actually helps, um, the nutrients be retained more than fresh produce because, you know, you got to think they, they pick the for fresh produce, they pick it, uh-huh. and then it can. How long does it take from when they pick it to the, the time that it's in the store? It's sitting there for mm-hmm. a while, so the nutrients actually go down the longer um, the the fruit or vegetables picked. So frozen fruits and vegetables are fantastic. Not only can they contain more nutrients, but they're obviously they're they're more convenient. A lot of the times they're pre washed and pre cut. Um, mm-hmm. Longer shelf life, obviously, because they're frozen and they're even cheaper. So don't be scared. Don't be scared of those uh, frozen fruits and vegetables. And what about cooking them? Like, you know how it's like some of them are like, oh, you just put it in the microwave for 30 seconds in the bag. Do you uh, suggest that or I, do you suggest putting it in cooking it a different way? Um, I wouldn't suggest putting it in the microwave, especially in the bag. If you're yeah. going to put it in the microwave, I'd say transfer it to either like a glass or stainless Just a microwave steel safe bowl. yeah not not plastic mm-hmm. um but why 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 do people 
put fruit and vegetables in the microwave, I, like to cook it. Yeah. Oh, I guess it's veg- just like a fast way, convenient. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess I was thinking more um, fruit, but I guess vegetables. Okay, vegetables like yeah. corn. There's like a bag of corn that I've bought gotcha. before, and I'm like, I don't know how to cook corn regularly, but I can yeah. put it in the microwave for three minutes, and then I got some good corn. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say, ideally, <laughs> I love corn. Yeah, no, cor- I mean, yeah, corn's good. Make sure you buy organic. Yep. Because most corn is GMO. Okay. Which means, you know, what that means. No, I always forget this. <laughs> <laughs> it means it's genetically modified. And since it's genetically modified, they um, most of the time they're spraying a lot of pesticides and herbicides on it, uh-huh. synthetic pesticides and herbicides, which can get into the corn, which can get into your body when you oh, consume we it. That. We don't want that. So we <laughs> so we always go for organic. Remember when we were doing- Always organic. Or corn, yes. Yeah. I mean, or, it's always organic when you can, but specifically corn. Okay. Remember when we were doing the, I think it was Memorial Day video and we were doing corn on the cob? Yes, yeah. And I did a video and I said, make sure you buy organic corn, uh-huh. corn on the cob. That's why. Remember, um, but yeah, that. ideally I'd say if you can, if you do get frozen fruit, fruit or vegetables, ideally I'd say heat it up in a pan if you yeah. can. Yeah. Because I, I mean, there's a lot of debate around the microwave. Is it healthy? Is it not? I think if you can, if you use it every now and then, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. But I don't think people should be using it on a daily basis. Um, it's but easy to just throw it in a pan. It as well. is. It, yeah, it is. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, it's already. I guess. I guess I don't. Maybe sometimes they're pre-cooked as well. Some of these yeah. vegetables, but vegetables don't take long to cook. I feel. Yeah. Like. No. Definitely not. Um, so ideally, in the pan. If, if you're going to use the microwave, put it in a glass Tupperware, yeah. not plastic, because, and that's a whole other topic, the plastic debate, but um, you definitely don't want to be heating up plastic. Plastic in, so if, you, if you're storing food in plastic containers, it's not as big of a deal if, if the food stays cold, but mm-hmm. you really don't want it getting hot because that's when the microplastics leach into the food and we don't want that. Mm-hmm. So summary there. Frozen fruits and vegetables, go for it. Go for it. All wow. the, yeah. Okay. Did you know that companies can claim their beef is grass-fed as long as it was fed grass at some point in its life? That's right. The cow could have been finished on grain, yet it will still be marketed as grass-fed on the package. Now, why does this matter? Well, 100% grass-fed beef has higher levels of omega-3 fatty acids, vitamins and minerals, glutathione, CLA, and bioavailable protein. And that's why one of my favorite snacks of all time are Paleo Valley's 100% grass-fed beef sticks. They source their beef from small domestic farms in the U.S. They use real organic spices to flavor their beef sticks, and they're naturally fermented, which creates naturally occurring probiotics, which are fantastic for gut health. They taste amazing. They have so much flavor and they are my go-to protein snack for when I'm on the go. I literally take these everywhere. And they're currently offering listeners of this podcast 15% off when you use the link in the description of this episode or go to paleovalley.com slash clean kitchen. No code necessary. And again, that is paleovalley.com slash clean kitchen, or click the link in the description of this episode and a 15% discount will automatically be applied at checkout. Okay. Back to the show. On to the next. Okay. What's next? Which brands of salt do you recommend? Oh, well, if you haven't- Hold on. I didn't even know that there were different types of salt. Oh yeah, of course. Until like a year ago. Yeah. Nope. Oh, there's there's many different types of salt. salt. No, no, many different types oh. of salts. So if you haven't listened to, um, I think it was two episodes, me and 
Kevin, excuse me, Kevin and I did a full podcast episode all about salt. We talked about the differences between salt. We talked about why, you know, a lot of people are scared that you should be consuming less salt because of high blood pressure and all of these myths around salt. We broke down a lot of them. So definitely go and listen to that if you haven't already, but I'll give you a quick summary. There's two different types of salt. There's Mm -hmm. unrefined salt and there's refined salt. Refined salt has a bunch of additives. We don't want that. We want to stay away from that. That's like the, if you go to a restaurant and you see salt sitting on the table, yeah. it's perfectly white, yeah. you know, that's refined salt. So unrefined salt is actually normally a different color. So like Redmond's Real Salt is yep, one of my that's favorite That's the one ones. I use. That's the one you use. Yep. There you go. Um, from Thrive Market, right? You, you get Correct. it from Thrive. Yeah. It's like, if you notice, it's got like a little like pink yeah. hint to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like the, each grain is it grains? Yeah, salt? yeah, grains. It's yeah. like different sizes. Right. They're not all perfect. Exactly. So that's unrefined salt. And that's okay. what we want. We want unrefined salt because unrefined salt contains these trace minerals that are fantastic for our body. Our bodies need these trace minerals. Um, but my three favorite brands of unrefined salt are Redmond's Real Salt. That's the one I use. That's the one Kristen uses. Um, Celtic Sea Salt. Mm-hmm. And then Pink Himalayan Salt as well. Those, oh, are yeah. my, those are my three favorite. Okay. Next question. How can I increase my deep sleep when I can't be outside when the sun rises? Great question. Because uh, I, I, someone probably asked this because I just posted on my Instagram story the other day yep. about me getting morning sunlight. And I said, did you know that you know morning sunlight, first thing in the morning, mm-hmm. can actually help improve your sleep because it helps set your circadian rhythm, which is your internal clock. Um, so I assume that's why this person asked this. But yes, there are many, many ways to improve your, improve your sleep besides just getting morning sunlight. So again, I hate to just reference different things here, but if you haven't listened to, I believe it was the second episode of the clean kitchen podcast, Kevin and I went in depth on sleep, sleep tips, sleep hygiene, all of that. But I'll give you some quick points here about how to improve your sleep. Or in this case, this person is specifically asking about deep sleep. So a few tips I have morning sunlight, Upon waking, if you can do that within the first, ideally, 15 to 30 minutes would be fantastic. Of waking up? Of waking up. And how long? If it's a sunny day, 10 minutes gets the job done. If it's a more cloudy day, you may want to do 20 to 30 minutes if you can. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm very fortunate where the new apartment that I just moved into, the balcony gets morning sunlight from the time the sun rises, which is around 7 o'clock until around noon. So I'm out there for three or four hours every single morning. Wow. I love it. It is fantastic. I love working out there. Um, but yeah, 10 minutes, that's really all you need. Okay. Um, if you are if you are waking up and the sun's not out yet, so if you're waking up before seven o'clock, five, six o'clock, yeah. try to turn on as many lights as you possibly can. Mm. It's not the same as the light from the sun, but it'll at least wake you up a little bit. And then when the sun does come up, then go outside for about 10 minutes and get some sunlight um, into your eyes. So that's the first thing. Next, uh, another tip to improve sleep is cold exposure. So Mm. this is something I also practice on a daily basis. When I'm taking a shower, the last one to two minutes, I turn it all the way cold. Some people like to do ice baths or anything like that. Have you ever experienced, have you ever tried anything like this or no? I've turned my shower cold. And? It's cold. It's cold. I don't like cold. Yeah. I don't like being it's uncomfortable. Cold. It is, but it's but a it, good. It's a good uncomfortable. Yeah, it's a good stress. Like mm-hmm. you, when you do that, your body, your in, your like, 
the inside of your body basically is like in a stress state, uh-huh. but it's a good stress. It's like exercise. Exercise, your your body's technically in a stressed state, but it's a good stress. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. when I run. Yeah, like when you run. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so cold exposure, if you can do that for even one to two minutes a day is is fantastic. Um, if you can exercise in the morning, that's mm-hmm. that's great. Um, watching the sunset also improves your uh, – going back to improving your circadian rhythm, mm-hmm. your internal clock – Watch the sunrise, watch the sunset. That's fantastic. Um, minimizing blue light in the evening. You know I have my blue light blocking glasses. Oh yeah, we all which, know that. Which I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna <laughs> go get them right now. Uh, but I put those on every single every single night after the sun goes down um, to stop blue light from going into my eyes, which can disrupt your sleep. It can disrupt the production of melatonin, which disrupts your sleep. So minimize blue light at night, turn off all the lights if you can. Um, a couple other tips I have are just keeping your room cold at night between 60 and 68 degrees is ideal. That's cold. Do you turn it cold? I do. What, what do you turn like it to? Like 68. Okay. But then fan on full blast. That's great. I like yeah. being cold at night. Exactly. You sleep I sleep better. so much better. You can't sleep when it's hot. No, you no. can't. It's so hot. You move hard. around way too much. Exactly. And the reason is because your body actually needs to drop a few temp, uh, a few degrees in Fahrenheit mm-hmm. to actually fall asleep and stay asleep. So, yeah. um, 60 to 68 degrees is ideal. Don't eat too close to bedtime. That can disrupt your sleep. Don't drink alcohol before bed. That can disrupt your sleep. Um, And then avoid caffeine eight to 10 hours before bed. That can also disrupt your sleep because caffeine stays in your body for a very long time. Okay. All righty. Next question. What's your cheat meal? Everyone wants to know what Kyle's (laughs) cheat meal is. Yeah, I, I get this question a lot. And I'm I'm honestly surprised by how much I get this question because, uh, to be honest, I really don't have cheat meals. Mm-mm. I mean, you're with me every day. I don't really cheat. No. The only time I really cheat, I'd say, and I'm and for those listening, I'm putting cheat in quotation marks, is when maybe like I'll I'll go out and get Chipotle or something mm-hmm. because I. But that's not that's not really like that's not cheating. People. Yeah. I guess that's not cheating and that's I'm cheating not, is like eating pizza, ice pizza, cream. Pizza, yeah, cake. I'd say on the, around the holidays. Yeah. Maybe you do like if mom was to make um uh carrot cake. Carrot cake or <laughs> but yeah, but she still makes it healthier, you know. Yeah, that's but true. I guess it's Using just coconut sugar and yeah. flour. Yeah. Um I, maybe someone's birthday if we had birthday cake or something yeah, i don't even I, I normally don't even eat don't that eat though it's really i'd say the only time i cheat is like yeah like you said like maybe thanksgiving or christmas and yeah. i'll have some dessert or something but i don't know like i'm just not a big fan of cheat meals in general like the food and they don't even appeal to you i feel like exactly and that's what i was gonna say like yeah. the foods i eat on a daily basis are so nutritious they're so delicious in my opinion mm-hmm. like i enjoy them they fill me up they they satiate me they make me feel good. They make my digestion good. They make my energy good. They make my sleep good. It's like, I don't even want, like, why would I want to cheat? Why yeah. would I want to eat something that's not healthy for me? Maybe that, you know, has all these artificial ingredients in it. It's going to give me, so like when we consume all this processed food garbage that I talk about on a daily basis, it it literally sends a signal to your brain, like you're getting a dopamine hit. Mm-hmm. Same thing, like if you're scrolling through social media, like you get a dopamine hit. Why would I want that quick 10 second dopamine hit and then i'm gonna feel bad afterwards my stomach might hurt i might sleep i might not sleep well um i'll have a headache i'll be tired after so like i just don't yeah i don't i don't don't even like 
like if you were to have cake, it doesn't even taste as good as it did when you were younger. Exactly. I feel like because your yeah. taste buds have changed so much and I've noticed that in certain things that I've been eating. Since you started eating healthier. Yeah. That things that used to taste good don't really don't taste, taste good, good anymore. Don't taste good anymore. Yes, that's so true. Especially like the ultra processed food. Like I'll eat, you know, like Doritos or something like that. And I'll be like, this doesn't even taste good. Yeah. Like it tastes so fake. Yeah. And that's so true. Your taste buds change. Once you start eating healthy, mm-hmm. once you start eating real whole foods, your taste buds change. And things that used to taste good don't taste good. And you don't crave. Yeah. And things that used to not taste good, like something natural, like I'll give you an example, like coconut water. And you may oh. not like coconut water. Yeah, I haven't, haven't liked that But yet. before I started eating healthy, I tried coconut water and I was like, this is disgusting. Like who would, who would drink this? Yeah. And then as I started eating healthier, I again tried coconut water and I was like, this is delicious. It's mm-hmm. sweet. It's full of flavor. It's so good. So your taste buds change. And I'm not a big fan of cheat meals at all. Mm-hmm. Um, another note, do, do I eat perfect when I'm traveling? Not probably not 100% perfect. But I don't like go all out and eat like as much bread and pasta mm-hmm. and pizza and all these other meals with ingredients that might not make me feel very good. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't eat perfect. Um, but, you know, when I get back from vacation, I get back on track and I eat the foods that I love, that are nutritious, that are delicious, and that make me feel good. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Next question. What do you think about counting calories and do you count your calories. So first of all, no, I do not count my calories. I've never counted my calories. Um, I've never, and I've never really had a problem with weight. Mm-hmm. I've actually always been like skinnier than anything else. I've never really been overweight or anything like that. So I've never even really thought to count my calories. Um, but before you even consider counting calories, I think you should look at the quality of your food. Mm-hmm. Are you eating real whole foods. I I eat like even, listen, I, you know, I talk about all these healthier processed food alternatives, like, you know, chips and cookies and crackers and protein and protein bars and all of this other stuff that are much better than the, than 90% of the stuff at the grocery store. But when it comes down to it, a majority of your diet should be coming from real whole foods. Mm -hmm. I'd say 95, maybe even more percent of my diet is coming from real foods, beef, fruit, or yeah, I I mean, I guess beef, Beef but, but animal protein, (laughs) animal protein, fruits, and vegetables. That that's really what I mean when I say real, real whole foods. Mm -hmm. Yes. You can consume things like rice and quinoa and oats and things like that. There's a lot of controversy, controversy and debate around those areas. But I think for the most part, if we're consuming high quality animal protein, fruits and vegetables, there's no need to count your calories. Um, and a lot of people that do count calories, you know, they're on the standard American diet where they're eating this processed food and then they're like, oh, I want to lose weight. So I'm going to consume less of it. Mm-hmm. But they're still consuming the same junk that first of all is, doesn't have any vitamins or minerals. So mm-hmm. we're depleting our body of so much and it's, yeah, it's, it's just not, a, it's not a good thing we do. Um, there's a, there's, again, I keep saying this, but there's a lot of controversy around, around counting calories um, I'm not a fan of it. I think there are many other things you should do before you even consider counting calories, like prioritizing real whole foods. Yeah. And also when you start eating real foods, you're going to notice you don't crave all of the, the processed mm-hmm. junk anymore. Like I listen to my body. I don't eat the same thing, the same amount of food every single day. 
if I'm more hungry one day, I'll eat more food. If I'm not as hungry one day, I'll uh-huh. eat less food. Like, listen to your body. What is your body telling you? And that's something you'll be able to, um, that's like, I, I'd say it's almost like a skill that you'll develop over time once you start eating real foods. Your body will tell you when it's time to eat a certain food and when mm-hmm. it's not. So overall, I'm not a fan of counting calories. <laughs> okay. okay, next question. I recently got diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, but mm-hmm. my doctor says diet doesn't matter. What should I do? Yeah, ulcerative colitis. So this is very similar to what I was diagnosed with in 2018, which is Crohn's disease. Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis are very similar. They're they're both um, disease of the uh, digestive tract. There's inflammation in your digest in your digest digestive tract somewhere, and it can cause a whole bunch of symptoms. So. I remember, just to start off, I remember when I um, was first diagnosed, I tried a bunch of different medicines and different things. Nothing really helped. Maybe I saw some short-term improvement, but overall, um, things were actually getting worse. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I went into my doctor, my GI doctor, and I said, um, you know, I I had been doing a bunch of research on food, food as medicine, using food to help repair your digestive tract. And I went in there and I said, you know, could food have anything to do with this? Like, does it matter? And at this point, I was doing enough research. I knew that food mattered, but I wanted to see what she was going to say. Mm-hmm. So I said, could could food, like, could that play a role in any of this? Like, could this help? Could could this have been what caused this? Could this help me get better? And she goes, oh, no, 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 no. Food, food, nutrition, or no, food, that, that doesn't matter. It, it plays no, no role. And I'm sitting there like, my digestive tract is inflamed. How do I eat food? It goes in my mouth through my digestive tract. So how can food not be playing That's a role? That's so crazy. Yeah. And I remember that. that. That's when you're like, you're not going to be my doctor. Yeah. That was the last time I saw her. <laughs> and that was, I guess, 2019. Yeah. Probably 2019 oh, yeah. timeframe. Um, <laughs> so I totally understand where you're coming from. Uh, it's, it's very sad because, and it's not these doctors fault. I am in no way, shape or form blaming these doctors they just, they don't know better. They're mm-hmm. not educated on this. Mm-hmm. When they go through school, they're not taught about nutrition. They're taught, okay, someone comes into my office, they have a symptom. What do I prescribe them? Exactly. What, what's the diagnosis? In mm-hmm. my case, it's Crohn's disease. In this person's case, ulcerative colitis. And what's the medication I can put them on? Mm-hmm. So my opinion, my, my recommendation to you would be to find a functional or holistic doctor mm-hmm. because- they are going to look at the root cause. Conventional doctors are not taught to look at the root cause of why you are having these symptoms in the first place. So find a functional or holistic doctor. They will get to the root cause. And it's very unfortunate that a lot of times functional or holistic doctors are not not covered by insurance. I think this is something that's going to change in the future. But unfortunately, most of the time it's not covered. So you got to pay out of pocket for it. And they can be expensive, but they'll, they'll they'll know what to do. They'll they'll look at new, your nutrition. They'll tell you to add certain foods or take away certain foods. They'll run a bunch of different tests to see why you're having these problems. Do you have deficiencies? What does your gut microbiome look like? Do you have mold toxicity? All of these different things that are so important that conventional doctors are not not taught to look at that functional doctors do look at. So that would be okay. that would be. Um, my suggestion to you and just a a quick side story here. 
these uh, these prescriptions and medications that conventional doctors put people on, I like to compare them to a Band-Aid. It's like putting a Band-Aid on things mm-hmm. and it's not getting to the root cause. Mm-hmm. So it's just masking, putting a Band-Aid or masking a certain symptom that you may have. So for example, when I was diagnosed with Crohn's, I was immediately put on something called Remicade, which is an infusion that you go and get, um, I think it was every eight weeks. You would go and you'd sit there and you'd get an infusion and they would pump this medication into your body for like, you'd sit there for like 30 minutes. Wow. And first off, every time I would go to this room, I would sit there and I'd look around and there'd be other people. It's like you sit, you're like, you sit in these like recliner chairs. It was like five or six different people. They're all connected to these IV things. They're all getting, they're all getting uh, different, different drugs, but Uh they're all getting in like IV. Yeah. Infusions. Yeah. And I'm looking at these people. From the very first time I went in there, I'm looking and I'm like, these people look so unhealthy. Mm. They look so weak. They look like no like no color. Like they just look very unhealthy. And I was like, I'm someone that I always go with my gut. If something doesn't feel right to mm-hmm. me, I'm like, nope, I'm out. And that this was one of those um, instances. instances or occasions or whatever. I was sitting there. I'm like, this does not feel right. <laughs> And I remember, I mean, like I, I did that for a few months and then I was just like, and I don't recommend doing this at all, but I just stopped. I was like, nope, I'm I not think doing mom this sent a picture in our family group chat of you in the of chair me? one time of doing it. Yeah. yeah it's probably one of my first ones. Yeah. 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 So I got out of there. I was like, nope, I'm done with this. I'm going to figure this out on my own. I'm going to get a functional doctor. I'm done with the GI doctor. I'm done with these infusions. And again, I don't recommend doing this, but I just like instantly just stopped because I got a bad feeling about it. Go with uh, your gut. And when I was when I was on Remicade for a short amount of time for those few months, there were these episodes that I would get like once or twice a month where I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would go to the bathroom and I would just throw up. Like my stomach would kill me. I would throw up mm-hmm. for eight hours. Like mm-hmm. I was over the toilet for eight hours throwing up then some stuff came out the other end. Then I'd throw up and it was just like constant pain, like the most Mm-mm. the most excruciating pain I've ever been in. And ever since I stopped being on Remicade, that disappeared. So that was unfortunately a very, very bad side effect, which is another point with all these drugs and medications. There's so many side effects mm-hmm. to them. Scary. It's very scary. So find a functional or holistic doctor. That would be my recommendation. Mm-hmm. And... I wish you the best of luck to this person that was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis because I know how you feel. Okay. If a seed oil is organic, is it okay to consume? So first off, yes, I say it's better organic. If you see an organic seed oil, and when she says seed oil, she me the whoever's asking this question, I guess. Um, canola, sunflower, safflower, mm. soybean, corn, all those types of oils, those are considered seed oils. Okay. Um, and if you see organic, that means they're not chemically extracted, which conventional, and when I say conventional, I just mean non-organic. Mm-hmm. Non-organic seed oils are chemically extracted with hexane, which has been shown to cause cancer in certain doses. So like, first of all, you shouldn't be putting that in your body. That's just really one piece of, one piece of the puzzle. The fact that it's chemically extracted with hexane, they're also just very bad for us in so many different ways. Um, but I'd say it is better. If you're going to consume a seed oil, the best type of seed oil, in my opinion, is organic, expeller pressed, 
mm-hmm. which means it's not heated to high temperatures. Mm-hmm. High oleic, which means it has a different fatty acid profile, sunflower oil. And I don't rec- necessarily recommend buying this by itself and cooking with it, but if you see it in a packaged processed food and all the other ingredients are good to go, then it's it's not a big deal. Do I recommend consuming it consistently on a daily basis? No, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, something like that. But if you are going to consume a seed oil, that is really the only one that I recommend. And again, that is organic, mm-hmm. expeller pressed, high oleic sunflower oil. I know it's a lot of words, but um, that's the the best type of seed oil if you are going to consume it. Okay. All right. We have two more questions here. What's your suggestion for the best whole milk? Yeah. Another topic that we did an entire episode on, the ultimate guide to milk, but the short version here, um, and I'll do a quick bad, better, best. You know, I, oh, I, yeah. I love BBB. doing the, the BBB, BBB videos. Um, bad whole milk is going to be conventional, which is non-organic, which means the cows are going to be feeding on non-organic grains, corn, and soy, which has been probably sprayed with pesticides and herbicides, which gets Mm -hmm. into their body, which gets into our body, which is no good. So bad is conventional. Better is organic. They're consuming, the cows are consuming organic grains, corn, and soy. And the best is going to be grass-fed or raw milk. If you can get your hands on it, Um, raw milk, you want to make sure you're getting that from a trusted local farm. Mm. Um, But yeah, that's bad, better, best whole milk. Okay. And then pro tip, if you are sensitive to dairy, but you want to try a different type of dairy, try A2 milk. This is an entirely different type of cow, A2 milk, um, and it's much better tolerated by people. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good to know. All right. Last question. Okay. What is the best almond milk and where do you find it? Another milk question. Yeah. Good. Um, so... My three favorite almond milk or just plant-based milk brands in general are going to be Malk, Three Trees, and Elmhurst. Okay. And where can you find them? I mean, there are many stores. You can go to you can go to their websites and you can see uh, a store locator to see which stores mm-hmm. they're at near you. But like, I know for a fact, Sprouts, Whole Foods, Wegmans. What am I missing? Fresh Market, maybe. Fresh Market. Yep, there's a few there. What other big stores? Not at Target, not at Walmart, not at Costco. Maybe like Harris Teeter. Yeah, if you have a Harris Teeter near you, I think Malk and, and Publix, Three Trees maybe, maybe there. Publix might have a few of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, those are the three best brands. The thing with plant-based milk, and I'm not going to hate on it because I think it's a great alternative for people that have dairy sensitivities, but the when you compare the nutritional profile, and I we just posted a, a quick, clip about this. Remember, Mm -hmm. we just posted a clip about this on the clean, clean kitchen podcast, Instagram, Instagram account. If you haven't checked that out, go go follow follow that account. We're we're posting short clips, um, from all these podcasts that we do that are very beneficial. So clean kitchen podcast, I'll leave that in in the description as well. But the nutritional profile of dairy milk, Mm -hmm. and that just means like milk from a cow. It can be from a goat or, um, Lamb? I don't know if lamb produce milk. Camels? <laughs> you won't you won't, you won't find that at the store. But uh, dairy milk compared to plant based milk, it's like it's night and day. There is so much nutrition in dairy milk, and there's so little nutrition mm. in plant based milk. I feel like people would think the opposite. Yeah, I guess so. Mm. But the thing with plant based milk is most of it's just water. 
Mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, almond milk. It's like yeah. a few almonds. It's like water. A, a few almonds. It's just mostly water. Yeah. So do you like almond milk? I, I don't really consume. No. Uh, the only, I, well, no, I don't consume really almond milk. The only plant based milk I consume is Kiki milk, oh. which has a bunch of different nuts and seeds in it. It's mm-hmm. way more nutritious. It actually tastes good. I feel like oh, all yeah, the. They got good chocolate milk. They do have good chocolate milk. They also have a macadamia nut milk, which macadamia nuts are fantastic. Um, that's really the only nut milk I consume. If you get like a almond oat or cashew milk from the store, I just feel like it has no flavor. Mm-hmm. If you want to put it in your coffee, you mean, yeah, that's people great. People get like coffee with oat milk or yeah, almond milk. Yeah, exactly. Splash. Exactly. And that and that's great. I mean, as long as there's no added vegetable oils or sugar or gums and emulsifiers, I think that's great. I'm by no means hating on plant-based milk, but in terms of a nutritional profile, the nutritional profile of dairy milk is so much better than plant-based milk and go listen to that milk episode if you haven't yet and we go into detail about why that is mm-hmm. um but yeah all right is that is that are those all the those questions are all the questions okay but there were a lot more there were a lot more that we'll maybe get to in we'll, the future yeah we'll and, and and please let me know um leave a review if you enjoyed this q a episode um or send me a message on instagram let me know because we, we i want to know if you guys are enjoying this type of episode and if so we'll do it maybe once a month or once every other month or something like that um, to answer a few of your most commonly asked questions. But I think that's going to be it for this week's episode of the Clean Kitchen Podcast. Kristen, you did so good. Ooh, yay. Your first good. podcast episode. I know. I think you absolutely killed it. Wow. So great Might job. I have to replace Kevin. Oh, <laughs> oh no. Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. <laughs> you got a replacement here. Um, oh, I hope you feel better. Yeah, I hope you feel better, Kevin. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. We will see you next week in episode 15. Bye. Bye.